February 16th, 2022. Let's talk tonight about a class that I entitled Revealed and Concealed. I'd like to talk about the parasha, Parashat Kitisa, and it's a continuation of sorts, although of last week's class, although you didn't have to be here last week, nor do you have to be fully privy to the punchline and discussion and development of last week's class, especially because none of you were here. Um, but what I will tell you is we'll start with what was, I think, the last source on last week's class. We'll begin with that and very quickly make the point and then segue into Parashat Kitisa from this vantage point. The Gemara in Masechet Shaban Daf Pechet Amudal, in a well-known statement of the Chachamim, have this dirashan pasuk in Parashat Yitro, the pasuk says, Vayit Yasevu Am Yisrael, so to speak, encamped at the bottom of the mountain, picking up on the uh, peculiar wording of the bottom of the mountain, say the Chachamim, Amar Avdini Barhama Barhasa Milamed, we learn from this, Shekafa HaKadosh Baruch Hu Alehim Etahar Kigigit Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the imagery of the rabbis picks up the mountain of Har Sinai, imagine, above Am Yisrael, as if it's a tub, Ve'amar Lahem Imatem Ekabelim HaTorah Mutav, Vimlav if you accept the Torah, you're okay. I'll rest the mountain down without any issues. If not, you'll die right where you are. The statement in turn is, there's a claim for Am Yisrael in future generations. There was to say we never willfully accepted the Torah. We were coerced. We were forced into this God. Concludes Rava and says, it's true, there was a coercion, there was a forcefulness at the time of Ma'amad Har Sinai, but later on in the days of Mordechai Vester, Megillat Vester, of course, nearing as well, that's when we accepted it willfully, Kiyemu Vekibbelu, we upheld what was already accepted, that being the Torah. What the imagery of the Hachamim, I think, is setting forth at its core is a description of a moment in time during which freedom of choice was absolutely taken away from a people. Now that's not to say, very carefully and specifically, that when the rabbis described God raising the mountain over them, that they envisioned, per se, God actually holding a mountain and dangling it over the people. Rather, what they're portraying is the moment in time, which was so overwhelming to the extent that there couldn't be a freedom of choice. If you felt, if you saw, if you breathed, if you, in everything and anything in your existence was godliness, how could you in any way, A, say no, or B, do anything other than, quote, the will of God, which means to say, Ma'amad Har Sinai, where there's the absolute, there's the word revealed, revelation of God, there's no freedom of choice. It's reminiscent in this respect, and we made this point in last week's class, of the beginning of creation, is it not, Ralph? It's Ramchal's, it's Arizal's beginning of creation, where there's this overwhelming Yehud Hashem, which pervades. How could you do differently? So to speak, Adam and Chava therefore decide, we want a freedom of choice, we want out of this overwhelming um, exposure of godliness. We want to be able to, in our own domain, develop and understand and fall sometimes and raise ourselves up. We want the challenge of free choice and in turn finding and establishing Yehud Hashem. It's a question in relationships always as well, as we mentioned last week, as we always mention, in a relationship in which there's overexposure, in which the child, the spouse, is held on the leash of the other to the extent that they can't think differently than the person who, so to speak, is in their four amot at all times. That's an unhealthy relationship. It's a relationship wherein there isn't any there's no individuality, and in turn, it taints, it strains the relationship. There needs to be that space which in turn will lead one to the other. That's B'yemei Mordechai Ve'ester, says the Gemara. In the days of Mordechai Ve'ester, as I always say, a book in which there's nary a mention of God. The closest you get is, Revach ve'atzalai yavol le'yehudim mimakom ha'cher, which, all right, determine accordingly. We'd like to imagine that's a reference to God, but it doesn't actually say God. And there's no mention of Torah, and there's no mention of mitzvot, there's no mention of tefillah, there's no mention of anything or everything well, that's the time, ironically, during which, so to speak, we accepted the Torah willfully because in a time of galut, in a time of distance, in a time of concealment, that was and is the greatest moment for Bechira Hoshit, for the opportunity to 
freely choose and find God. That's that Gemara in Masechet Shabbat. That's that well-known Midrash. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hey, Ben. What's going on? I'm sorry. I don't have enough sheets. You mind looking on with someone? All right. There it is. Um, that is the that is the the structure that is the beginning of anything and everything I want to discuss. It very much defines our relationship with one another, our relationship with God. As we discussed last week, that in turn gave me gives us the vision of Mishkan. Mishkan is the aftermath of Ma'amad Har Sinai. You go from Ma'amad Har Sinai where there's overexposure. And then you conceal that in the Mishkan. The Mishkan is certainly the abode of, quote-unquote, Ma'amad Har Sinai. It's Mishkan Ha'idut. It's the opportunity to, like Ramban Nahmani points out, like many other envision it, to re-experience Har Sinai, but it's now concealed. It's now you're going to have to search a little bit harder. It's now, quote-unquote, real life. It's no longer the life in which Yehud Hashem pervades, but rather one in which there's space for you and me to determine on our own how to get there, how we're going to find and experience a relationship with God. That all being the case, that was the vision with regards to Mishkan. I'd like to, over the course of this class, describe to you how, in my mind, that is the vision of the Hachamim, and maybe implicit, certainly implicit in the Torah, the difference between the first Luchot and the second Luchot. Of course, Parashat Kitisa, in contrast to Parashat Yitro, describes the giving of the second Luchot. We have in Parashat Kitisa, Cheta Egel, and in turn, the giving of the second Luchot. What were, first and foremost, the biblical clear differences between first and second luchot. Secondly, in the eyes of the hachamim, what shifted? And thirdly, well, what's the significance? I would suggest it very much is in this same direction of going from absolute revelation, which is overwhelming, a rebellion in the Gan, it was a rebellion by eating from the tree. After Har Sinai, it's a rebellion through Heta Egel, and in turn, well, now a concealed existence wherein I kind of have to parse in order to find God, wherein I have to put in my own effort and my own determinations and my own uh, trekking along this journey. I'm sorry, I'm out of papers. Uh, all right, there it is. Ralph will help you. Uh, well, that being the case, here we go. Source number two and source number three are Pesukim from this week's parasha, in which we'll find, in which we'll find the first giving of the Luchot and then the second. Perek Lamidbet Pasuk Aleph describes the aftermath of or Moshe being away for some time. Vayar Ha'am ki boshesh Moshe laredet minahar vayikahel Ha'am al Haron vayomeru elav kumase lano Elohim asheyelchu lefanenu kizem Moshe Aish ashehe elano meres usraim lo. The description is Am Yisrael freaking out, panicking because there is the vanished nature of Moshe. Moshe is gone. It went again from exposure to concealment. It went from revelation to concealment. He disappeared. It's after absolute exposure, he kind of off the scene. And the people don't know really how to deal with this. And after God tells Moshe what's taking place up down there, the imagery, it's this crazy situation. If you read the Pesukim, you have this split-screen type of imagery of Moshe in this euphoric state of being, so to speak, having this rendezvous with God. And then God says, you should know what's taking place down there. And Moshe, in this caught off guard, Now this is the description of the first Luchot. So listen to the description of the Torah. Luchot kitubi mishene Avraham. They're written on both sides. Mize umizehem kitubim. Haluchot. These luchot. These tablets. Maase Elohim hema. They are the construction of God. Veham michtav and the writing. Michtav Elohim hu. It's the writing of God. So both the tablets and the writing are. Godlike or God done, harut al haluchot, it's carved, it's chiseled into the stones. That's the first luchot. If you were to describe the first luchot in a word, you'd say, I imagine, divine. That's what it is. Ma'ase Elohim, Mikhtav Elohim. That's what they are. They're not only given by God, they're the construction of God. Perek Lamedalit, same parasha, Vayomer Adonai Moshe, Pesolecha Sheneluchot Avanim Karishonim. After God says, let's take it another time. So the first statement is, you carve them. 
you craft them. So it's already far from being Ma'aseh Elohim. It's now Moshe is doing. Karishonim, I want you to do them like the beginning ones, but they're not exactly like beginning ones because the first ones I made. Now you're making them. The katafti, but I'll write al haluchot et devarim asher hayu al haluchot arishonim asher shibarta. I'll write the devarim. What's devarim? Words. The words that were on the first ones. What's missing from this second description? Michtav. The first one was the writing. The second one is the words. Do you understand the difference? I can, I can say the same words in two types of font. I can write it in, I don't know, Arial, or I could write it in Times New Roman, or anything or everything else. That's two michtavs, but the same divarim. So the description over here is it's no longer the michtav, it's rather the divarim. It's, so to speak, the content, the words. Is there a difference between those two? So we have to just keep that diuk in mind. Again, the difference between the first and second is the difference between michtav and devarim. Again, in Pasuk Kavzayin, Vayomer Adonai El Moshe, Ketob Lechat HaDevarim Ha'ele, Ki Alpi HaDevarim Ha'ele. Twice, write these devarim. There's no mention of write this michtav, so to speak. Now, certainly God is speaking to him and saying, write down that, but he's not instructing at any point that you do this michtav. Maybe it's implicit, but it's certainly not explicit in the text. But that's the description of these luchot. So what have we established thus far, just from Peshat and Pesukim? Uh, first and foremost, there's the difference between the first luchot. The first luchot are ma'aseh Elohim, michtav Elohim. It's absolute divine revelation through them. Not only ma'amad Sinai, but in the luchot themselves. You kind of, so to speak, feel, see, perceive God. Second luchot, man-made. Again, Allah, Mishkan, right? Mishkan is this man-made, as opposed to the Har Sinai, where human beings can't touch it. You can't go near the man. You'll get killed if you touch the man. The Mishkan is a place which you're going to build. It's similar to these two Luchot. First Luchot, divine, overexposure, panic, inability to decide. Kafale Mahar Kigigit. How do we rectify that? How, we cha- how do we change that? Yemei Mordechai Vesir. How does the Torah, so to speak, implicitly rectify that and change that? Mishkan. How else? Second Luchot. Second Luchot are quote-unquote less dominant with regards to that divinity. Now, if I were to pause and therefore ask you at this juncture, so which ones were greater? Of course, hard to quantify greatness, but which one of the Luchot was the, were the greater Luchot? I, I would imagine you'd say too hard to answer, something along those lines, but someone could and probably would say the first Luchot. Greatness is in the divine. It's God's words. It's God's writing. It's God's construction. Ibn Ezra on the parasha quotes from one of the Geonim who says that the second Luchot were greater. He cryptically mentions it, doesn't really give the backstory. And then Ibn Ezra slams him and says, that's silliness, that's craziness. How could you talk about something that's divine versus something that's man-made and say that the divine one is, is second place to the man-made one? Says Nitziv in source number four in his Perush Amek Davar, Al HaTorah, he says, you should know in the second paragraph, Al Valdivre Gaon, Lav Divre Rekin. You should know the words of one, that Gaon, whom Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra quotes, Lav Divre Rek. They're not empty as Ibn Ezra had claimed. You should know, for example, he quotes two Midrashim. One Midrash says, Simolotahat Leroshi, that Pasuk, Elu Luchot Rishonim, Viminotahabekin, of course, a Pasuk in, in Shir Hashirim, Luchotchenim. So the left hand is the first Luchot. The right hands, which are embracing, are the second Luchot. It sounds as if the second Luchot are, so to speak, the greater ones. He goes onwards, he cites, a, he cites another Midrash. Next Midrash says that, uh, well, look at, the, uh, look at the third line here in this paragraph. Moshe is turned to by God and says, Did you, did you, were you pained a little bit? Were you Pained enough now in between first and second Luchot? Did you suffer in order to get this? You should know you're not going to lose out. You did a good job. The first tablet just had the Ten Commandments. Now that, you're, now that you're in pain, now that you fasted, now that you put yourself into this, I'm giving you what we call 
Torah Shabal Peh says, Nitzi, if you want to know what was born in between first and second Luchot, what was born is Torah Shabal Peh, is the human involvement in the Torah. Whereas the first Luchot were divine, untouchable, overexposure. <laughs> what it says is what I do, no doubt, no uncertainty, no room, nothing, no, no space for me as a human being to develop and understand and find myself or anything or everything else in it. Second Luchot, Give that capability. Says Nitziv, HaKavana B'Kozet, B'Luchot HaRishonot, Lo Nitan Koach HaChidush, Elo Mashi Kibel Moshe, Diyukei HaMikraot, Halachot HaYoseh Mizeh, Ava Lo LeChadesh Tevar Halachal Yedei Yod Gimal Midot Kadomei Havayot HaTalmud. We wouldn't have Mishnah, we wouldn't have Talmud, we wouldn't have libraries filled with books had it just been the first Luchot. Why not? Because first Luchot was overexposure. First Luchot were Gan Eden prior to banishment. There's zero room for human involvement. There's no challenge there's no creative capacity which is given over to human beings and as a result it would be the laws which Moshe, Moshe was given and their interpretation to the extent that in a well-known derasha, derasha Yod Chet in Bet HaLevi, that's, uh, that's uh, the Bet HaLevi, his name was Rabbi Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik, he was the rabbi of Slotsk in, in Volozhin at, at one point as well, much like Nitziv, but a little bit before him, he has this derasha, he quotes from several midrashim, now again, not to be taken all that literally, but to understand the, the concept that underlies these midrashim, he has several midrashim which suggest that the first luchot, if you looked at them, you saw everything. What do I mean by everything? Everything. Kol talmid vatik atid lehadesh was on those first luchot. How is it possibly all in the first luchot? It's not. It's not meant to be taken literally. But the concept is, first luchot had full exposure, absolute revelation. Second luchot, well, that's the birth of Torah Shabbat. Yes, Alan? When did that, that period start Kafa alem har kigigit ma'amad har sinai. Right before him, the luchot. Yes, that's that's how I understand it. Those forty days of absence, quote unquote, which is the beginning, by the way, of where we want to be. Ironically, that is a time during which the people cannot stand. And, and, and how could they, this, this stuck stat, static situation? We don't know how to maneuver because we're so stuck, because we had That's right, from Ma'amad Har Sinai, even before the reception, Luchot, Luchot are only symbolic of the reality. Say it again. I would like to imagine that the rabbis would say no. In other words, if there's no death, and why is there no death? Because you're living in, call it again, the words emet and sheker domain, so then there's eternal life. Have to, everyone who uh, beheld Ma'amad Har Sinai is the way I would say it. That's right. So why for the next 40 years are we still in Revelation? Why are we still living in Revelation? Well, I got gotcha. you. First and foremost, Moshe is still Moshe is still around. Secondly, secondly, even in the Torah, we have at least two places where Moshe is uncertain about the halacha, and and I, okay, we're still working in a domain of revelation. I, until today, if you've heard me, you do in Nefesh Hayim classes. In the context of Talmud Torah, it's still it's still envisioned as it should be the should be the Gemara and Bava Batra and elsewhere envisions our understandings of, of Torah as an act of revelatory uh, uh, inspiration. It's Ruach Hakodesh, so to speak. It's a higher level thought, but it's not it's not the revelation of absolute revelation. It's not a revelation in which there is no two ways about it. It's the revelation of I've toiled, I've worked on this, and in turn there was that. It's the Nivuah revelation. It's the Nivuah revelation, so to speak, of a non-Moshe revelation. It's a revelation in which there are chidot, there is mar'eh, and as a result, I now need to parse my way through this and hope that I'll be inspired in this context to understand it. There's still much of my own interpretation. It's certainly the way Hanumbaman understands Nivuah in general. So I have no problem with that. I have, not even a problem, but I have, I'm explaining there was, so to speak, a problem with Ma'amad Har Sinai. In, in a different class, at, at a different, what's that? Why does that have to be that revelation? I'm using the word revelation uh, interchangeably in, that, in this context with exposure. I'm exposed to reality. I'm overexposed to reality. That's right. I didn't cheat. Correct. 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 
The only way I'll achieve it is by taking away some of that exposure. Otherwise, it's not. That's right. That's right. Okay, so you don't like the word revelation more than anything. That's yes. Yeah, yeah. We get revelation, we, we're done with revelation on the second level. Is that necessarily true? We're done with absolute revelation. Yes. Not that we're done with Nivoah, not that we're done with Ruach HaKodesh. No, 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 we're no, done no, with absolute... Yes. Yes. But we're not done with that. It's not because when Pesach Shemin comes, we get that. Right, but Moshe needs to ask. Right, it's revelation. He's striving for it. He still needs... But Ralph, he still needs to ask. He still needs to ask. He still needs to work. He still needs to figure it out. He doesn't have to figure it out. That's what I'm doing. Wait a minute. I'm going to turn around. And this point of the line, what do you do? But why? But but let's put it this. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. If there was quote unquote just first luhot, he wouldn't have to ask. That's what I'm saying. There's one and the same. Same thing. Is Hashem writing it that it's in a way where the perception is seen and understood completely. Nice. 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 Says says Jack, that's the difference, although we're gonna take it in just a moment in a different direction, but it's same point in different words, you'll see in just just longer. It'll take me longer and a little bit more rabbinic. Um, yes, says Jack, that's the difference between the mikhtav of the first luchot and the divarim of the second luchot. The mikhtav of the first luchot is exposed. You can't see any differently. That's right there in front of you. Divarim is how did you hear it? How did you process it? How were you in turn able to understand it indeed? Yes, Norman. So, Midrash really said that, uh, or we understood some idea of a 49th Did they really reach that level? I mean, we, we didn't know they were, you know, human courts still in that way. So were they exposed to be at that 49th level right before that final place? Did they, did they get there? Were they taken there? And in that same regard, if you compare that and contrast that back to the gun, there had to still be that crack, that one in the gun to allow them to, to act and get to that place. So in a sense, it always gets to that same point where there's still that one piece missing, whether you achieve it yourself or not, there's still that one piece missing comparatively that allows you that... that to get out. There yeah. is still, even within the Gan and Ma'amad Harzinai experience, this is to put it in different words, there is still a Bechira. There is still right. space. Otherwise, you couldn't was get out. Was that 49 level where they just happened to get to because they were taking So, so uh, no simple answer. My guess is, even at that level, being a human being means there's still, there's still, even that level, that level in and of itself still has a little space. It's a tiny crack. Is that what he's asking? Well, certainly Haram Bam describes it as, as the not on, Okay, but they also they also fall very quickly. Harambam has that they couldn't have heard. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They couldn't have heard the Dibirot because they couldn't have been there at the same level to be able to achieve Nivuah in such a, a quick circumstance. I'll go further. That might be why they fell so quickly, similar to Adam and Hava. Uh, so I, I'd imagine they didn't achieve. I imagine they... What's that? Yeah, Boshashu. and Boshesh Moshe, absolutely, because they are in different coordinates, a p- parallel experience. It's the experience of overexposure, which cannot be maintained and will not be maintained. Yehud, as it's manifested in totality, cannot be a human experience. And in turn, what's that? Moshe is an Isha Elohim, and as a result, as we've discussed on many other occasions, Moshe therefore can't be there, as Nitziv makes this point as well, he can't be their human leader entering into Eretz Yisrael. He can be their human leader, even not at Har Sinai throughout the Midbar, because you're still dealing with a separate, more elevated level of Nivuah. As you're about to enter into Eretz Yisrael, I know, still elevated compared to Galut, but it's still real world, he can't be their leader any longer. He, he's, in, he's in a different domain. He's not, he's not struggling the same process uh, reality that they are. Well, anyway, on, those, on these same lines, I'd just like to uh, perhaps give two other uh, perspectives 
uh, which will bring us in the same direction as that first one. And, and the first uh, of, of these two starts with this Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin. The Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin is dealing with what we know. We happen to know it based on archaeology today. I'm sure they knew it even then based on historical something. Uh, there, is, there are two types of kitab when we talk about historical kitab of Hebrew, let's call it. There's what's called kitab ibri. I think it's called... Pe- uh, whatever, I don't know, ancient Hebrew, what? Yes, it, it, you know, it looks more like to us, I think, hieroglyph- hieroglyphics, hieroglyphics, but it's not really. It's got all specific, you can look it up, Kitab Ivri, I think it's called Paleo-Hebrew. Um, you'll find what's called Kitab Ivri. And then there's what's called Kitab Ashuri. Kitab Ashuri is the letters on the page in front of you. So Kitab Ivri is, so to speak, you know, what looks like some scratches on a piece of paper to me and you. And then Kitab Ashuri is this one. On, on more than one occasion, I've pointed out that if you take the classic picture, I don't know if it's actually from the movie or whatever, of Moses holding the tablets that you'll find on Google, so there's some kitab ibri on it. And if you then parallel it to the actual letters, there's a mistake. I forgot the mistake. Like, they didn't even get that right. They didn't get anochi right, I think, the aleph non chaf yod. Anyway, either way, you slice it. So, what's that? They did. Well, that is actually exactly what I'm going to talk about. The issue I'd like to address is, what was on those luchot? We're on the Luchot Kitab Ibri or Kitab Ashuri? In real life. In rabbinic real life. All right, that's what I'd like to know. I can't tell you in real life, I can tell you in the rabbi's room. What's that? That's a wonderful question. Lashona Kodesh is the language. That's separate. What's the Kitab? I want to know about the Kitab. The Gemara and Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf Kafalif Amud Bet going into Daf Kaf Bet Amud Aleph has several opinions, but none of them are directly addressing well, what was on the Luchot. What they are addressing is, in these words, what was the original Kitab of Yisrael? Does that mean that was on the Luchot? Well, the first opinion here in the Gemara, Mar Mor Zutravi Tema Morukba, but Tehila initially Nitena Torah Yisrael Biktab Ibri Belashona Kodesh. I guess if you watch the movie or whatever it was, the picture, so you read it like that and you understood it. This Luchot, but Tehila Nitena Torah. It's a description of the Luchot. What what was it given in? Lashona Kodesh Hebrew, but Kitab Ibri means the Paleo uh, Hebrew, uh, the ancient Hebrew f- f- uh, script, the Samaritan type of script. It's uh, the Hachamim. Call it, I think, Kitab Libona'a as well, the Lebanon, Lebanese. What's that? Say it again? It's the same thing. Uh, It's directly parallel to our alphabet. It's letters, but they don't. It's pictures just as much as our letters are pictures. There's not like trees. No. Like I. It uh, looks like it to me and you, but look at it, it's much more simple than Chinese. No, no, it's letters. It's one letter. No, 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 it's not that. It's one letter after another. For, for example, we'll see it in Talmud Yerushalmi, an ayin is a circle. That's nothing more. That's, they're all like that, I mean, to a certain extent. Anyway, You should know in the days of Ezra, says the Gemara, that's when the writing, you see it? I should have put it on the source sheet. It would have made things more easy. Uh, yeah, you can easily Google this. Uh, later on, it was given in Kitab Ashurit. It was given in, you know, the, the Kitab that we have on the paper in front of us, in our Sifre Torah. But in Aramaic, that's in the days of Ezra. Israel, Kitab Ashurit, Kodesh. At that point, or subsequently, they decided, Bireru, they chose Kitab Ashuri and Lashon HaKodesh, which means to say we learn Torah, and we write Torah, we deal with Torah, with the letters that are called Kitab Ashuri, Ashuri Milashon Ashur, it sounds like at this point in the Gemara, so to speak, associating with Ezra, Assyrian of sorts, and then Lashon HaKodesh, Hebrew, as you know, we would call it Lashon HaKodesh. So the Gemara seems to describe, at least at this juncture, that originally it was given in Kitab Ibri. For our purposes at this point, that doesn't mean all that much other than raising eyebrows, because maybe it's not what we were accustomed to. Tanya, the next statement. Now, Ezra was on the level, he was worthy uh, to be the one chosen uh, to receive the Torah for Israel. Had Moshe not come first, Ezra would have done it. After the ellipsis, even though the Torah wasn't given by Ezra, you should know the writing was changed by Ezra. 
And they quote several Pesukim to make this claim, the last of which is, Uchtiv, if you look at the third line at the end, Vekatav et Mishneh HaTorah Hazot, that's by a king in Sefer Devarim, he should write this double Torah. What's the double Torah? Instead of reading it as double, Mishneh, changeable Torah. What's the changeable Torah? It's, it's a Torah which has Kitab Harau'i Lihishtanot. The Kitab is able to be changed. Why was it known as Kitab Ashuri according to this opinion? Ashur. It came back with them during the time of the second Mikdash from Ashur. This is a fascinating, shocking statement. Each of these statements is shocking. So it means the second opinion says that Ezra, it appears, changed it. This third opinion says, well, originally the Torah was given to them in Kitab Ashuri. They sinned. Kitab Ashuri was taken away. And they were given instead Kitab Ibri. They merited again, they got back Kitab Ashuri. What's Kitab Ashuri then? It's not coming from Ashur, it was given to us originally. It's Milashon Me'usheret. It's beautiful, it's fantastic, it's great. Ashre Ha'ish, Ashare Ha'ish. Ashre is something very special. That's Kitab Ashurit. Well, that's the next opinion. I ask you again, through all these opinions, what was on those luchot? That's what I want to know. I mean, it's not I want to know, it's what everyone wants to know. Why does it matter? Well, it matters a lot because we're already envisioning uh, these letters as perhaps being subject to some meaning beyond just the way that I read. You should know, we never changed. We always had Kitab Ashuri. Vaveh Amudim, the Pasuk says. And Vaveh is because it looked like Vavim. And a Vav in Kitab Ashuri looks like a line, which is exactly what we're describing in the Amudim of the Mishkan. And Amud, a beam, looks like a Vav. Ma Amudim lo nishtanu, Avavim lo nishtanu, Veomer, Ela Yehudim, Kikhtavam, Kilshonam, Pasuk in Megillat Esther. You should know their Lashon and their Kitab never changed. What does Pasuk mean when it says Mishneh HaTorah Hazeh? I thought that meant that it could change. That's not what it means it could change. It means the king would write two Sifre Torah, Milashon Shenayim. Again, that's all the opinions in the Gemara. Each one should and was kind of when we learned Sanhedrin, dissected and dealt with in its own place. The issue for us, so to speak, is well, where did it begin and at what juncture, at what point did it change? Did it change? And why did it change? And why was it Ezra who deemed it appropriate to change it? You might just say it was influenced by his surroundings. Is that appropriate then for that to be codified in our Torah? Is that what we therefore should have in our Sifre Torah? Adding to the complications of the Gemara Masech Megillah in source number six. The Gemara Masech Megillah in Daf Beit it's in Masech Shabbat as well in the Daf Kofs, maybe Daf Kofdal or something like that. The Gemara says that the Mem and the Samech in the Luchot Banes Hayu Omdim. Mem and the Samech of course are closed and in the middle they have something which is not connected. If it's chiseled out, well then how does that middle area hang in midair? Yes, it's a miracle. Here's the problem. Mem and Samech, a Mem Sofit, of course, are not the same in Kitab Ashuri. That's not what they look like. Well, that being the case, the Gemara seems to be saying explicitly that the Luchot were with Kitab Ashuri. That's the statement. Again, if the Luchot had Mem and Samech, which if you look at the, at the chart that Norman just passed around, Mem and Samech, even if they had a Mem Sofit, which they didn't, but certainly Samech was not a circle, well then what's the miracle that the Gemara is describing over there? It appears as if everybody's okay with that, with stating unequivocally that in the Luchot you had Kitab Ashuri, so it's getting a little bit more complicated. Says Ritva, one of the Hachmeh Sefarad in his commentary to Masech Megillah, the most important part that I want to read together with you, and this will touch on your point, Ralph, if you read the third paragraph, he writes, Aval Vadai, it's certain, En Safek Shezeha Kitab Hanikra Ashurit, Hu Kitab HaKodesh Baluchot. He says, I'm certain. And again, there's a major dispute about this, that Kitab Ashurit was the writing on the Luchot. And that's why the language and Ashurit are known as Kodesh. However, that writing was found on the Luchot and only on the Luchot. Outside of Luchot, Sifre Torah, and different things that were being written, 
Those were being written with Kitab Ibri. But the Hebrew, he says, we had for some time. He says, but we would be writing in Kitab Ibri. He continues and he describes what's so great about this Kitab. He says, you should know this Kitab Ashuri has, I'm looking for the line in which he describes it, he describes it as having so much connected to it in terms of sanctity that you can even be, where's the line? So on the next page, did I cut it out? He has a line in here where he describes why this Kitab Ashuri is so special. He says about the Kitab Ashuri that it has crowns to it and it has a certain sanctity to it. I can't find it at the current moment. But that being the case, his description again goes as follows. He says that Kitab Ashuri was on the original Luhot, that's the divine looking uh, letters. They're much more beautiful. The statement in the Gemara, the statement, I mean, just look at them. They are a lot more beautiful. They are the divine ones. That's what was on the Luhot, but we were writing in Kitab Ibri. Later on, at some juncture, well, things changed and we started writing Kitab Ibri. What was the Hidush of Ezra? It was to expose that secret writing to the people and to give them Kitab Ashuri. Why did nobody know Kitab Ashuri? Because it was nestled away in the Aron on those Luhot. All that being the case, why, why do I mention all this to you at, in this class? For the following reason. Because there's, lastly, and if I, have, I hope I haven't confused you thus far, but just to state it as clearly as I can, to, we had several opinions in the Gemara about how we went, if we went from Kitab Ibri to Kitab Ashuri, if we started with Ashuri, if we had to stop off with Ibri in the middle, Ritva talks about the significance of this Kitab Ashuri. He's certain he says that it was on the Luhot, but here's the issue with Ritva. It's Talmud Yerushalmi in source number eight. Talmud Yerushalmi has two opinions. One opinion says that you should know the miracle and the Luchot was the Mem and the Samech, the Mem, Sofit, and the Samech. They were just dangling in midair because that middle area, which was chiseled out, the hole in the middle, how did that rest on anything? Clearly, that's a miracle. Do you understand why? If I chisel out a letter, that's easy. But if I chisel out a letter and then there has to be a block in the middle of it, that's a miracle. Says the, says the Talmud Yerushalmi, you should know if you think that the first Luchot had Kitab Ibri, then the ayin, and look at the list, the ayin is a circle. That was the miraculous dangling letter. Well, which one was it? I mean, Ritva, you told me, Kitab Ashuri is that sanctified, divine writing, which we couldn't use, and only in the days of Ezra did we begin to use it. Well, which one was it? Uh, can, you, can you help me out with this? Says Radvaz, and this is the punchline, and hopefully we'll now understand the depth of this statement of Radvaz. Radvaz is a 16th century Israeli and Egyptian rabbi, Rabbi David ben Zimra. He says in his Teshubot here, in Chilegimah, Siman Taf Membet, he says, here's how it goes. In the first Luchot, it was Kitab Ashuri. In the second Luchot, it was Kitab Ibri. That's, his, that's, that's how he mixes this. He has a diuk. It's how he started the class. He says the first luchot say it was ha-michtav, michtav Elohim. The first luchot had the writing which was divine. The second luchot had ha-divarim. It had the words of God, not the writing of God. I stop and I ask you, why so? What's the difference between first and second luchot? But I think we know the answer. First luchot was overexposure to the extent that Jack said it earlier, the Midrash tells us, you looked at it and you saw everything. Punchline, using different words of Radvaz, of Ritva, you looked at Kitab Ashuri, you looked at divine letters. Second Luchot, after a failed, quote, experiment, after a world in which relationship was overwhelming because godliness was manifested throughout, Kitab Ibri. We worked with Kitab Ibri for some time. Kitab Ashuri then is what we have today. So you might then ask, so how do we deal with Kitab Ashuri today? Which is an important question. In other words, if my imagery is right, and the answer is that even, and I bring you back to this point, even in the domain of Kitab Ashuri, there's still a freedom of choice. And midrashically, we have a reference to that. This is all parenthetical. Where do we have freedom of choice even in Kitab Ashuri? Look at those letters. Again, there are no crowns on those letters. There are only crowns on Kitab Ashuri. 
The Midrash in Masechem Menachot that has Rabbi Akiva and uh, Moshe sees HaKadosh Baruch Hu putting crowns onto the letters. Ketab Ashuri. He asks him, why are you putting crowns onto the letters? He tells him, because there's someone in the future who's going to make Derashot on all these crowns, which is Rabbi Akiva. Moshe says, so give that Torah right now. Let us have Ketab Ashuri right now. That's the way I'm reinterpreting it, so to speak. I'm angling it like that, and I'm not the first to do this. Well, the answer is Rabbi Akiva, which means even when you're in the Gan, even when you have some exposure of Kitab Ashuri, there's still room for freedom of choice, for freedom of interpretation. Yeah. What I'm saying in Rabbi Akiva is that. Which part? Oh, she talk, be quiet. That's, that's what I want. That's, that's what came up in my mind. I'm not interpreting those words right now. This is very much a parenthesis. This is very much a parenthesis to state to you that even in a Kitab Ashuri realm, there's still a freedom of choice. There is, it's just harder. It's just not what we do. You don't find anywhere in the Gemara, Dirashot on Tagim, on the Kitarim of the Otiot. You never find such a thing. Very hard to do. You're really touching on something beyond regular comprehension. But it's still Torah Shbalpeh. There's still room even in there for Torah Shbalpeh. It's just more difficult. But again, so what have I done? And then I'll, I'll give you the, the, the last. Kitab Ashuri is the only one which has crowns. I'd imagine it always did. And that's the description. He's putting the kitarim onto the otiot, and he's stating to him, but because there's a chance for derashot on this. Of course. Well, all that being the case, again, just to piece it together, what we've, what we've led up to thus far, and then we'll let, end it with one more perspective. What we've led up to thus far is as follows. The difference between first and second, the hot is the difference between an overwhelming experience in which God, and it's the way many relationships do and should begin. It's the way I've described on more than one occasion, childhood. Childhood is in a home in which our parents make many, if not all, the decisions for us. They determine when we eat, when we're babies. They determine when we go to, when we go to sleep and so on and so forth, literally everything being decided for us. All we're doing is living and crying from time to time. As you get a little bit older, there's a little bit more space, but still confined. It's when you get older and older and the relationship becomes more mature that you must rebel, you must have that distance and move out. That's a healthy relationship. But it begins with the intimacy of overexposure, of involvement on a very, very minute, uh, on a very, very detailed scale in all and everything that you do. That was the first luchot. That's the Ma'amad Har Sinai. That's the Kafa Alem Har Kikigit. What's that? He did. They couldn't have sinned in the Midbar had they not. Yes, yes. I think Jack and others have made this claim when I've developed a similar point. They've said over the course of those 40 days of, quote, you know, I understand. But even in those 40 days where Moshe disappears and they're starting to get a little bit of a, are they still getting the man? And I think it's what you're saying as well, that they got the man throughout. Again, so, it's, it, so they still have direct involvement, but it's diminished from Ma'amad Har Sinai. That's for sure. The second Luchot are still not the Stay same. You are right. You are right, and again, and that's why entrance into Eretz Yisrael is a whole new experience, but compare it to an infant and a 15-year-old. So the infant is literally, everything's being determined, that's Ba'amat Har Sinai. The 15-year-old is the Midbar. Uh, well, they, they make those mistakes, and then they're slapped back into place. They still have room. It still have room, but they're still under the same roof. It's afterward that things change. The second luchot begins the adolescence. The second luchot begins the ability to have that freedom of choice. The second luchot begins the space of humanity to develop and find Yehud and not have it just served to them. It gives them that Bechira. That's the difference from Kitab Ashuri of Radvaz of first luchot and Kitab Ibri of the second luchot. Because that's what made us follow in the beginning. It was our youthful passion to jump in. We didn't know what we were getting into at the time. Maybe. I'm not certain we had much of a choice. We had a choice. We jumped in. That's what he says. I remember when you followed me to the Midbar. That was the thing that I remembered. That's what he pulled out. Yes. Into the Midbar we went. But 
but the Ma'amad Har Sinai, okay. Yeah, right, so, 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 so what do, I gotcha. Is that a question or is it a comment? It's a statement. You're feeling bad about the experience. You feel like we were duped into it. I'm saying, I think it was a, an appropriate, youthful, adolescent, driving forward, being overwhelmed by it. Allah, not the same, but Allah, Ahava and Yirav, Harambam, you're driving forward and then you're being jolted backwards. Similar, not the same at all because we're dealing with exposure over here as opposed to, as opposed to uh, you know, just, just reaching out and understanding more and then realizing the distance. But yes, okay, I'm okay with that. I, I think it's very appropriate. I want relationships to be like that. I want a husband and wife to run toward each other not knowing what this entails. We got involved, I say it all the time to brides and grooms as I meet with them. I say you dated a long time and you passionately involved yourself with one another. But now you're literally going to live in the same room or rooms for the rest of your life. It's a whole different experience because now you're going to feel as if you're constricted. You no longer have your room to go sleep in at night separate from that person. You can't hang up the phone at night and breathe a little separately because now they're in your face at all times, at every moment. What do you do now? The answer is, unfortunately for Am Yisrael, I'm overwhelmed. Alternatively, we build our relationship from the onset with a spouse, with a child, with an appropriate space. But yes, we rush into it. I like that we rush into it. That's the passion. That's the excitement. I want that. Anyway, I'll conclude with the following. There are many differences between Parashat Yitro's uh, mention of the Aseret HaDiberot, of the Ten Commandments, and Parashat Vayet Hanan's. Many, you might know many of them, Shamor and Zachor. Zachor is Zachor et Yom HaShabbat Lekadesho is in Parashat Yitro. Shamor et Yom HaShabbat Lekadesho is in Parashat Vayet Hanan. Say the Hachamim specifically about that one in Masechet Berachot and Davkaf, in Masechet Shavuot and Davkaf. Shamor and Zachor bedibure hadne emru. Somehow God spoke them both at once. There's another in that same, same Pesukim that describe Shabbat, another discrepancy in source number 10 in Shemot, Perekaf, Pasuk Yod. Pasuk says, why are you keeping Shabbat? Because God created the world in six days and he stopped on the seventh and he rested and therefore you need to do the same. The Pasuk in Devarim, Pereke, Pasuk Yodal, Parashat Vayat Hanan, of course, famously says, that's not the reason, it's because God redeemed you from Egypt and therefore let all your slaves and your maidservants and your animals rest on this day. All right, it's a description of understanding the slave mentality. Which one did he say? Imagine something along the lines. It's a mahlokat hamefashim, exactly how and what was said in which circumstance and so forth. But something along the lines of some concept in some way was said at once in tandem for the people to understand. Keep in mind, this was a prophetic experience. But all that being the case, there's an interesting point, and that is that one mention is in Yitro and the other in Vayet Hanan. The question is if there's a significance to one being in Yitro and the other in Vayet Hanan. And many suggestions can and have been given. Vayet Hanan, oftentimes we imagine as Moshe's reminiscence. So with the stamp of approval from God, this is the way he sets it forth for them. Not contradicting per se, but supplementing the description the first time. There's a strange but very famous Gemara in Masechet Bava Kaman, Daf Nundalid Amud Bet. The Gemara seems to suggest that Parashat Yitro is the first Luchot and Parashat Vayat Hanan is the second Luchot. That's what the Gemara seems to say. Rabbi Ishmael asks a contradiction. The Berot Harishonot, according Pasuk Shemot Perekav, Abdecha Vamatecha Behemtecha. The Berot Haronot, Shorecha Hamorecha Vecho Behemtecha. What are you talking about? That's not the second luchot. We never have any description of reading the second. It's pasuk in parashat vayet hanan. So to speak, the rabbis over there, Ramban Nachmanin's commentary to the Torah, jumps on this as well, are describing, are envisioning, although in parashat vayet hanan, Moshe is describing the first luchot, that experience, there's so to speak, and here's the key words, describing the nature of the first luchot as portrayed in Parashat Yitro and the nature of the second luchot as described in, as portrayed in Parashat Vayet Hanan. Do you understand? They were both true. This is my interpretation, although many share, I share it with many. In other words, you can say about me, listen, he's a really nice guy, but he knows how to be stern. That's one description. 
perhaps of me. Alternatively, you could say about me, he's a very stern guy, but he knows how to be a nice guy. Well, there's different descriptions. What's the primary function in who this person is? When you look at him, what's the first? They're all a part of it. It's not contradicting per se, but what's exactly, when you were to describe this, you know, it's that silly question, are you Jewish, American, American Jew? What are you asking that question? Of course, I'm both or whatever. You're asking primarily, what's your first identity? So the description then is that Parashat Yitro describes First luchot identity, and parashat vayet hanan according to this gemara. Second luchot identity. Now let's think about that discrepancy. It would be a nice point. The next pasuk afterwards in parashat vayet hanan talks about yereved as well. But, but it's, yeah, it's, it's mentioned also in Parashat Yitro, point taken. That's just, the, the, the contradiction specifically is why in the first Luchot they could have just said Behemtecha, and the second Luchot they had to mention the Shor, the Hamor, and then Vechol Behemtecha. But oh, that's, the, that's the only discrepancy, not, not, not anything more. I'm, I, don't, I don't need that. I mean, that's Gemara Masech I need the punchline, the difference in the Luchot. So it goes like this, however, and Rav Hutner makes this point based on Maharal here in source number 13, Pahad Yitzhak. On Shabbat in Ma'amar Tet, he makes the following suggestion. He says, listen to the two descriptions of why we're, why we're observing Shabbat. Parashat Yitro, Zecher, the Ma'aseh Bereshit. Who is the main character Ma'aseh Bereshit? God, of course. Parashat Vayet Hanan, second Luchot is Zecher, Who's the main character? I know God is the one who does it. But ultimately speaking, we play the role of leaving Egypt. Ralph just said, we were the ones who rushed forth into the desert. Use his words, if you must. But the point is, we play an integral role in Yisiyam Israel. Moshe certainly does. But Am Yisrael are the, are the players over there. The behind the scenes is God. Ma'aseh Bereshit is all God. There are no human beings. You know, I guess there is on day six, but Sheshit Yamim is God. That being the case, it's the same point again. What's the difference between the first and second Luchot? It's the difference between absolute divinity. That's the description. You look at the first Luchot, you envision what that was. That was an experience of overexposure. That was the experience, I don't know where to move. I don't know how to do any differently. That's unhealthy. It's necessary at the beginning at times, but that's unhealthy. I can't develop, I can't be creative, I can't find myself, and in turn, I'm not really a part of a bond. I am just being swallowed by the other. Second luchot is, well now I'm giving you some distance. Second luchot is, well now the, it's, it's no longer the michtav elokim. It's rather just the devarim. Now it's not crafted by God, but rather by Moshe. That's the difference. It's no longer a kafa alehim ahar kigigit. It's rather an opportunity to have to make our way to a kiyemuvi kibelubi memor dechay veister to say it just as succinctly and as clearly as I can. Much as we've discussed, developed, and determined the difference between a gan experience and a post gan experience is the difference between a domain in which freedom of choice is severely inhibited because I can't see or think any differently. And breaking out means I'm working toward that, but I'm now able to determine. I don't feel and see in that innate way God that surrounds me. So too was Ma'amad Har Sinai, an overexposure, what the rabbis call kafa ma'har kigigit. How do we compensate for that? Distance, disappearance, second luchot. Second luchot, mishkan as we discussed last week, Concealment, it's no longer all there in front of you. You're playing a role in this. Now you have the opportunity, now you have the mandate, the responsibility to find me, to determine truth, if you will, uh, Ralph, going back to our words in the past, and through a domain of tovena, through your human endeavor, through your own understanding, how are you then going to make your way on that path, back to Emet and Sheker, back to Yehud Hashem, as Arizal would describe it. Revealed and concealed describes any and every relationship. It describes our relationship with God as well. It very much describes our existence today. You have moments of absolute revelation. Many people might describe um, the, the founding of Medinat Yisrael as an absolute revelation which is quickly followed and even preceded by an absolute concealment. You had a concealment, so to speak, in the Holocaust, and then you're followed by an absolute revolution, and then you kind of bounce back down. Those vicissitudes of, of, of human and Jewish history more specifically 
are very much this description, maybe on a smaller scale, at times on a great scale as well. It's the opportunity within our own lives to experience that rendezvous, that moment of absolute revelation, of exposure to God, feeling jolted, feeling that I can't think any differently, and then God, so to speak, distances himself in order to keep this relationship going, in order to keep it rich and ripe, in order to keep us involved, as opposed to keep us, or putting us in an overwhelmed state of being, uh, as we had in the Kafa Alem Har as we had in the Gan at the beginning. Baruch Adonai Amen ve